That is the question that has been asked for centuries. What child is this? He's the Christ, Messiah, the promised one. The prophet Isaiah, inspired by the Holy Spirit, wrote an amazing passage of Scripture. We've been looking at it for several weeks together now. Words about the coming Messiah. Five different titles that he gave to this coming king. We've looked at three of those titles already. Wonderful. Counselor. Mighty God. And today, we're going to look at the fourth title. If you've got your Bible, I want to invite you to look at it. I want you to know where it's at. It's in Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6. The fourth title is the title Everlasting Father. You know, we've been reading within this passage, focusing on this one verse. Today we're going to read... Only this one verse. But it's not a matter of you're going to stand, I'm going to read. No. You're going to stand. And we are going to read, as we will next Sunday as well, because I have a goal. It's a simple goal. But by the time we get past Christmas, or by the time you are gathered with your family on Christmas, I hope and pray that you will be able to look around at the gathered loved ones and recite this verse to them. So if you have your Bible open to Isaiah chapter 9, I want to invite you to stand with me in honor of God's Word. And I want us together to read this verse. So join your voice with mine as we read together chapter 9, verse 6. For to us a child is born. To us, a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Would you pray with me? Father, I stand before you in awe of who you are the way that you have worked through history to make yourself known, the revealing that occurred when the Son of God put on flesh and came to this earth to dwell among us for a while. Centuries before he came, Father, you spoke to this prophet. And through these titles, you revealed a little bit of who you are, what you are. I pray that as we look today at this title, Everlasting Father, that you would speak to our hearts. Reveal something new to us. Teach us your truth. Teach us who you are. And Father, call us to follow you more closely with each passing day. Have your way in each life. Speak to each heart. But we pray these things in Jesus' name. And all God's people said... Amen. You may be seated. The fourth title given, the one we're going to look at together this morning, Everlasting Father. 
If you begin to study Scripture, you're going to discover something. The concept of God as Father is very seldom found in the Old Testament. There's really not much in the Old Testament about God as Father. They're far and few between. They're they're there, but you have to look for them. Most of those references to God as Father that are found in the Old Testament are redemptive in character. It has to do not so much with who he is, but what he's doing. I found a, a few examples. Let me just throw a few at you. In Psalm 89, you are my Father, my God, my rock, my Savior. Isaiah 63, 16, you, O Lord, are our Father, our Redeemer. From of old is your name, our Redeemer. That seems to be the focus. And then here in this text, we find him called Everlasting Father. In the Old Testament, there's very little about him as Father, but my goodness, when you get into the New Testament, it's everywhere. But I want us to think about this. What does it mean, Everlasting Father? First thing I want to say to you is very simple and very easy, but it's this. I believe that whenever we look at the title, Everlasting Father, that God's nature is revealed. It's showing us a side of who he is. You see, after all, the book that you hold in your hand, God's Word, it is his revelation of himself to mankind. If you want to know who God is, read this book. If you want to know what God is like, read this book. If you want to know what God is about, what he is interested in, what and whom he loves, read this book. This is his revelation to us. The Old Testament tells us about God's majesty, about his, his power, his might, His awesomeness, the fact that he is there before all things, that he is in all things, that he sustains and keeps all things, and that he is the righteous judge over all things. But little is said about his fatherhood. In fact, if you ask people what they know about the God of Israel, the God of the Old Testament, the most vivid picture that most people have is Jehovah God at Sinai. We recall him there with his people after the Exodus event. He was a God of might and power. He was a God of light and power who spoke through the fire, who spoke through the lightning, who spoke through the earthquake. To a large degree, most people think of the God of the Old Testament, and by the way, he's the same God, and they think of him as being unapproachable, frightening, to be feared, But the reality is, if you read and study God's Word in the Old Testament, you find that He is not only approachable, but He is good. He's faithful. He's a protector and a provider. Yes, there is something that's frightening, intimidating about Him, particularly if you go contrary to His Word and His direction and His precepts. But when you get to the New Testament, you begin to see God in a completely different light. Jesus talked about his father a lot. The concept of God as father, the one who who loves his children, one who cares for his children, provides for his children, protects his children. Man, that's just almost completely a, a New Testament revelation. But think about it this way. Nearly 800 years before Jesus arrived, Isaiah gave him this amazing title, 
everlasting Father. Everlasting Father. The words in the Hebrew language for everlasting Father are among some of the shortest words in the language itself. The word for Father is Ab, A-B. Ab. It's the beginning of Abba. Daddy. Ab. That's the word for Father. The word for everlasting is Ad, A-D. So when you put these words together, literally it means Father of Eternity. He was the father before there was anyone to be the father of. He was the father before time began or before anything was created. He is the everlasting father, the father of eternity. What an amazing title to give to one who was going to arrive as an infant, a baby. But Jesus declared that he and the father are one. Therefore, if the father is everlasting father, he too is everlasting father. They are one and the same. It's an amazing thing to try to wrap your brain around it. And I'm just going to tell you now, it'll blow your mind. I don't know any other way to say it. It's almost beyond our ability to grab. But there is a holy unity within the divine trinity that is almost beyond human conception. Christ is the child born, and yet he is the everlasting father. That's God's nature. Always new, always fresh, always creative, and yet always he has been, and always he will be. So God put on skin, put on flesh, became one of us, became like us in so many ways and yet different from us in the most important of ways. And he came to dwell among us for a while so that we might behold the glory of God and understand a little bit. And so when he arrived, the nature of Christ was revealed. What do you mean the nature of Christ was revealed? Well, Christ came into the world to To show us the Father's nature. But the question had to be, how is he going to reveal himself? How is he going to show us who he is? So here's what he did. He took on the form of man in order to be able to serve man. Christ was born of a woman. He became flesh and was made in the likeness of men. But what form of man would he take? Ah, that's the great question of the ages. For the Hebrew people, largely they expected him to take the form of a great king. They expected him to arrive on a stallion and he was going to come and he was going to thrash those Roman occupiers and run them out of the promised land and reestablish the kingdom of David. But he didn't do that. It was much more subtle than that. How was he revealed? He was revealed as a king. Was Jesus a king? Yes. Yes, he he was of royal lineage. He was of the house and the lineage of David. He had a claim to the throne, if you will, of Israel. It's no wonder that in Matthew chapter 2, when the Magi came from the east and they arrived sometime after Christ was born, they asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? They didn't say to be the king of the Jews. Where is the one who is born king of the Jews? He was king. They knew he was king. 
In Matthew chapter 21, Mark chapter 11, we read about the arrival of Jesus into Jerusalem at the triumphant entry. Palm Sunday. He fulfilled the prophecy of Zechariah 9.9. See, your king comes to you, righteous and having salvation, gentle and riding on a donkey. Your king. Not someone who's going to try to be your king. Not someone who thinks he's going to be a king. No, your king comes. See, it's not a question. It's not a supposition. It is a reality. Why? Even those who opposed him confirmed it. Above his dying body on the cross at Calvary, what does the sign above him say? King of the Jews. Not he said he was. No, it said king of the Jews. Yes, he did come as a king. But he did not come to claim an earthly kingdom or an earthly throne or an earthly crown. And I am so thankful that he did not. What he came to do was far greater than to rule upon a throne. If Jesus was not an earthly king, then what sort of man did Christ come to be? Did he come to be a priest? Absolutely. The Bible talks a lot about his ministry before the altar. The letter to the Hebrews talks about it extensively, explores the, the priesthood of Jesus, tells us how it's a greater priesthood than any priesthood that come before, declares him to be a priest after the order of Melchizedek. But I'm here to tell you that Jesus was more than just a priest. We live in an age and a day when, when religion is being marginalized in many circles. And for years, for decades, even for centuries, many have felt that there's this huge division between those who serve in a priestly function and those whom they serve. The division is so pronounced that God looked and said, I have to do something about that. And so he sent his son who became a different kind of priest. He didn't seclude himself away from the people. No, he walked right out in amongst them. He sat down and had dinner with them. Why, religious people were always looking at him and accusing him and condemning, saying, look at him. He sits and eats with sinners. I'm so thankful that he does. It means that I'm welcome in his presence, and it means that I can invite him to come into my presence, and he will do it. But God sent his son to do the work of a priest, but even more. You see, Jesus was also revealed as a prophet. <laughs> Before you get too excited about that, let me just tell you something about prophets. Many people listen to prophets, but prophets are not universally loved. I remember one of my college professors telling me in a preaching class when I was a very young man, about 19 years old, he said, gentlemen, I know that you all want to thunder forth with the voice of a prophet. But remember that if you preach the message of a prophet, you will reap the war reward of the prophets. Had to think about that one for a while. I finally went back to him. I said, Dr. McWilliams, explain to me what you meant by that. And he said, Tim, the prophets were stoned, imprisoned, decapitated. They were killed. If you want to preach the message of the prophet, be prepared to suffer as a prophet. I, I'll just be a preacher, Doc. 
Jesus talked about the prophets. He, he basically, let me just paraphrase it. Here's what Jesus basically said. One generation kills the prophets, and the next generation will build monuments to their memory. That's kind of what happens. They're not respected or revered in their own time, but after they're dead and gone and their message comes to fruition, then people look and say, you know, he really wasn't a bad old boy. So God revealed himself as king, as priest, as prophet. We all know those titles of Jesus. But then Isaiah throws in this word, Father. Father? What exactly does that mean? Let me just tell you something about fatherhood. In our culture and in our society, fatherhood has taken a beating. Every father, according to the media, is a brainless buffoon. A worthless individual who has no sense. If they didn't have a woman in their lives to guide them and steer them, they wouldn't be worth anything. Now, I'm not saying there's not an element of truth in that, ladies. But I do want to say this to you guys. The best and the ideal of fatherhood is this. That a father loves. He protects. He provides. He guides. He counsels. He watches over those for whom he is responsible. I'm just going to tell you, and I know that there are many people who have different experiences than mine, and I know that there are many people, and they struggle with the concept of God because they hear God and they hear Father, and they've not had a father figure in their lives, or they've not had a father in their home, or they've been abused or mistreated by a father. And so because of that, when they hear God is Father, they reject God because they reject the concept of Father. Let me tell you the other side of it. I had a father. You did too. My father was not and is not perfect. But there was never a day in my life that I did not know that my father would die for me. He would protect me to the very best of his ability. And I see some men with heads bobbing in here. If you have children, you understand what I'm talking about. You would lay down your life to protect your children. Why? Because that's what a father does. He protects. He provides. He cares. He watches over. Jesus described God as his father. Now, he could have used a multitude of different Hebrew names. There's not any shortage of names for God. Elohim, Shaddai, Adonai, Jehovah. But instead, Jesus uses the word father, Abba. In so many of his statements, your father, your father knows what you need. Pray to your father and your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. Our father who art in heaven, your heavenly father will also forgive you. Repeatedly, he uses the word Abba. It's much more than father. Father sounds so formal. I can only think of a few times in my life when I've referred to my dad as father. Usually it's when we were in disagreement. Well, father, tell me what you really think. No. Most of the time, he's daddy. 
He was daddy when I was a little tyke. He's still daddy. He's Abba. He's daddy. He's that man who when the storms of life came would spread his wings over me and protect me. Shield me, shelter me as best he could. Knowing that ultimately it was up to God to make it all work out. You read God's word, particularly in the New Testament, and you find God is our father. He is our daddy. He's the anxious father who's awaiting the return of a wayward son. He's the father who forgives and who welcomes and who restores. That's the kind of daddy that he is, that everlasting father. What's his fatherhood really mean? I mean, what's it really all about? If you were to boil it down and say, what does it mean if you say he is our everlasting father? Let me just put it to you very simply. First off, we are his family. We are his family. If you can say he is my everlasting father, we are his family. You may not care for me, but we're in this together. All right? Get used to me. You're going to have eternity with me. We are his family. How do you become part of his family? How do you become his child? How does he become your everlasting father? By birth. Nicodemus came to Jesus. Nicodemus was a religious man, an educated man, a trained man, a religious leader. He comes to Jesus one night and he said, man, I, I don't get it. I don't understand what you've been talking about. How does this happen? God's calling. Are you listening? Jesus simply told him, he said, look, no one, No one can see the kingdom of God unless he's born again. You become his child by birth. And yet so many people make this horrible mistake of thinking that that they're they're Christians because they were born into a Christian home or because their mom or dad are Christians or, or their grandparents were great saints of God. Listen, I think it's awesome that children grow up in homes where mom and dad are believers and grandparents are great saints of God and there's a a legacy of faith. But please understand what I'm telling to you. Jesus told Nicodemus, flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. John made it so clear. In John chapter 1 verse 12, To all who received him. He's talking about Jesus. To all who received Jesus. To those who believed in his name. He gave the right to become children of God. It's a faith issue. It's an issue of believing. It's an issue of being born again. You have to have a second birth. Is he your father? Have you been born again? If so, we're his family. As his family, we are granted the father's care and provision. A lot of people don't understand what that means. I'm just going to give you a challenge. I I want you to listen to these words as I read them to you. You've heard them before. They're in the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 6. But just, just listen to these words. Let them soak in for a minute. Do not worry about your life. What you will eat or drink or about your body, what you'll wear. Is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who who among you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? Why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow? They don't labor or spin, yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, 
which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So don't worry, saying, what are we going to eat? What are we going to drink? What should we wear? The pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. That's his provision. That's his care. That's his promise. When you become part of his family, you're you're granted his care and provision. But there's one more thing I want you to know. When you become part of his family, you will be blessed with the Father's love. The everlasting Father provides for us and cares for us because He loves us. He's told us in His Word to cast all our cares on Him, all of our anxieties on Him, all of our burdens on Him because He loves us. When we're young, we hear that and we say, okay, that's true. It's so easy to just faith it when we're young. And then we age. Some of you in this room, this is your cue to start nodding your head. We mature. We fail. We stub our toes. We trip and fall. And through all of those instances in life, it's not just that we hear He loves us. We begin to see how He loves us. We begin to experience His grace and His mercy in those moments when we don't feel like we deserve grace or mercy. We experience His protection when we feel like we are so exposed and vulnerable. I think that's always been true. Scholars have speculated that the Apostle John was probably one of the youngest of the group. And yet he refers to himself as the one whom Jesus loved. Later on in life, he sat down and he penned some letters. They're included in the New Testament. By this time, he was one of the few remaining. He was an elder statesman of the early church. And in 1 John chapter 3, he wrote these words. He said, how great is the love that the Father has lavished on us. That we should be called the children of God. Let me give you a word of reminder. His love is the love of a father, not a grandfather. There's a difference. Can I get an amen from the grandfathers in the room? As a father, we are responsible to teach, to correct, to discipline, sometimes to chastise. As a grandfather, we're responsible to love, to encourage, to goodness, to spoil and return to mom and dad. (laughs) The love of God is the love of an everlasting father, not a grandfather. I want you to understand something, and I want you to hear me well. Our Heavenly Father is not so concerned with whether or not you are happy today. 
But he is extremely concerned about whether or not you are holy today. You see, he's a father. He wants you to grow up and resemble him. He wants you to grow up and act like him, to follow and to live out the lessons that he has taught you. He wants you to grow up and carry on the family work. That's the reason that his word says that he is working in our lives daily, conforming us to the image of his firstborn son. He wants to make us more and more like Jesus. The apostle Paul got it. He wrote about it in Ephesians chapter 4. I was reading these verses and I thought, man, he got this figured out. And then I started blanking some words out of the verses. And just left in the meat of the statement in verses 13 through 15 of Ephesians chapter 4. And here's what it says when you just leave the meat and take out everything else. He says that God doesn't work in our lives until we all reach the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head. That is Christ. See, God wants what any father wants. For his children to grow up and to carry his name, his likeness, and his work and to do it well. My friends, one day, one day our everlasting Father will bequeath upon us by right of inheritance his estate, his home. He'll give us everything he has. Jesus looked forward to that. He talked about that. Matthew chapter 25, verse 34, you remember this. He said, then the king will say to those on his right, come you who are blessed by my father. Take your inheritance. The kingdom prepared for you since before the creation of the world. In Luke 12, 32, he was speaking to his disciples and he said, don't be afraid, little flock. I love it. He looked and he just saw them as a bunch of of sheep. That's what we are. He said, don't be afraid, little flock. Your father has been pleased to give you his kingdom. You see, there's only one question. There's really only one question. Are you a child of the father? Are you part of his family? Christmas time comes, and I'm always amazed, horrified, but amazed at the crowds in the stores. The billions of dollars are being spent. All the things that are bought that will be broken within two days. The amounts of money, vast amounts of money spent on paper and bows. That after five minutes of horror, (laughs) we'll be stuffed into giant trash bags and taken to the curb. 
we know how to give gifts to one another. Our Father knows how to give us the greatest of gifts. But I want to ask you this morning, have you given him a gift? Have you given him the gift of yourself? See, there's not anything that he wants more than your heart. There's not anything he wants more than a personal relationship with you. Many of you are sitting in this room and you just kind of put it into mute right now because you said, got that. Awesome. We'll get back to you. Get ready to unmute, okay? But if you're sitting in this room and you say, you know, I've never done that. I don't have a relationship with him. I've heard about Jesus all my life. I've, I've heard about God. I've heard about, but I, I, I don't think I know him. I'm not asking you, do you know about him? I'm asking you, do you know him? And if the answer is no, I want you to know something this morning. God loves you. He has a plan for your life, but you will never understand that plan, nor will you ever be able to walk in that plan or fulfill that plan until you have a personal relationship with him. And there's only one way to do that. You must be born again. You have to come to him through his son, Jesus Christ. That means you're going to have to confess your sin, admit that you're a sinner. Listen, we all are. Don't feel like you're worse than anybody else in this room. We're all sinners. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. He wants us to admit our sin. In fact, his word says that if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So if you'll confess your sin to him today, he promises he'll forgive you. He'll make you a new person. That's what Paul said. If any man is in Christ, what? He's a new creation. The old things have passed away. All things have become new. My friend, would you let him do that work in your life today? You say, well, I, I'd like to, but I'm not sure what to do. Here's what we're going to do. In just a couple of minutes, I'm going to pray. We're going to stand. We're going to begin to sing. If you need that relationship, I want to invite you. Come take me by the hand and say, Pastor, I want that relationship. I won't embarrass you. I won't put you on the spot. But I want to visit with you. I want to show you from God's word what it means to be born again. I want to pray with you. I want to help you find your way into that relationship with him. Would you allow me that privilege? Brothers and sisters in Christ, unmute me, please. It's the Christmas season. Even those who say they do not believe have a smidgen of interest and a curiosity. Why do these people celebrate Christmas? It's easy. Christ Mass. It's the Advent. It's his coming from heaven to earth. We celebrate the arrival of the one who is wonderful, counselor, mighty God, everlasting father. He's changed my life. He saved me from what I would have become on my own. And he's made me into something more than I could ever have become by my own devices. Do you know him? then share him for crying out loud. Invite someone to come worship with you. Tell them how Jesus changed your life. Who knows, God might use you to find a new child. Would you make yourself available to that? Let's bow our heads together. In just a moment, we're going to stand together and sing a song of invitation, a song of commitment. It won't be long. In fact, it's short. But I'm going to invite you to come. Come. If God's calling you, come. If you need a relationship with him, come. 
we'll wait for you. We will make all the time we need to make if you need to meet your father today. You're looking for a church home. God's led you to this place. I invite you, come. If this is where he's leading you to and you know you need to part, come. If you're my brother or sister in Christ, but you're, you're struggling with how, how do I live my faith out? How do I share my faith? You want someone to help you, to encourage you, to, to give you some, some instruction or some, some assistance. Come. I'd be happy to work with you. I just want to invite you to do this. Know him. Know him and let him know you. Because even as we celebrate Advent and the coming of Christ, i got a newsflash for you. He's coming again. We better be ready. I am. Are you? Father, I thank you this morning for your word. What an amazing word it is. What an amazing message. How you've taken these few words simple words that we've all used and are all familiar with and yet through those simple words you have revealed to us so much of who you are how you work and move in our world and in our lives and yet still Father so many reject you Father open the eyes of their heart help them to see help them to hear Help them to understand the depth of your love, the breadth of your concern for each one of us. Father, draw them to yourself. So as we celebrate Christmas together, we can celebrate not just the birth of an infant 2,000 years ago, but we can celebrate together the second birth of those you draw and those you call and those you claim. Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters. I, I pray for us as a church, as a congregation, that you would not let us rest comfortably with what you've done, but we would understand that we've been called and commissioned and challenged and sent. We have to go tell. <laughs> you don't have another plan but to use your church. Father, find us faithful in sharing what we know of Christ, that others might find Him and that they might learn to know Him as well or better than we do. Father, I don't know how you've spoken to the hearts of the people assembled in this room, but I do know this, you always speak. And I praise you for that, and I just ask you now to move us to action, move us to do what pleases you, brings glory to you. For I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.